Here it is. From deep inside your audio device of choice. I'm undergoing self-isolation. It's the only way to be. Just for the lack of stimulation. So come self-isolate with me. Ladies and gentlemen, there's a lot of talk these days, these post-election days, about um, the future of legitimacy in this country, of the uh, election process, of the result of the election process, as a result of um, a certain hesitancy on the part of a certain incumbent to let the frick go. And so it's, it seems to me an appropriate time to trot out something I've been thinking for quite a while now, but had neither the time nor the inclination or probably the talent to write about. But, you know, I can yak about it here. We have been, it's my contention, in a slow-motion crisis of legitimacy in the United States since 1992, since the 1992 election. Cast your mind all the way back, if you will, to that election. Bill Clinton won with less than the majority of the vote. Popular vote, that is. Because there were three candidates in that race. H. Ross Perot, the um, cantankerous Texan entrepreneur, garnered a hefty percentage. I mean, serious, serious third-party percentage. Not he, it was not going to be president, but, it, you know, he, he took a bite. And so Republicans took the position that Bill Clinton really, really wasn't a legitimate president because he didn't get a majority of the popular vote. Same thing happened four years later when Ross Perot ran again, another three-person race. Then the next election was in 2000. Florida, decided by 537 votes in Florida and or a decision by the Supreme Court that was so dicey, the court itself proclaimed that that decision was not ever, ever to be used as a precedent for any other decisions or contemplations by the self-same court. Maybe unsurprisingly, the Democrats thought that George W. Bush, elected through such a process, wasn't necessarily the most legitimate president. Eight years later, Barack Obama. And whatever you think of Barack Obama, he was the country's first black president, and there is a, there was a, and still is a, portion of this country that didn't feel he was legitimate on that very basis alone. You know, he wasn't born here. He was born in Kenya or Mars. Which brings us to 2016. And a goodly slice of the Democratic side of the pie 
insists to this day that Donald Trump wasn't a legitimately elected president because of interference from Russia. And so here we are. We have been a country which has not recognized the legitimacy of its elected presidents for almost 30 years now. Feels good, don't it? Hello, welcome to the show.
From the home of the homeless, I'm Harry Shearer, welcoming you to this edition of the show. And now, ladies and gentlemen, what kind of a world is it? It's a smart world after all. It's a smart world after all. It's a smart world after all. It's a smart, smart world. Zoom has been forced to agree to a range of security improvements. That was in a settlement with the Federal Trade Commission. This is as a result of earlier wrongly claiming, Zoom, that it offered true 250-bit end-to-end encryption, which it didn't. It's according to the Register, British Tech Journal. The agreement announced this week obliges Zoom to carry out an annual security assessment of its software and have its internal security program assessed by a third party every two years. Or a second party every three... No! It also has to create a vulnerability management program and add security safeguards such as multi-factor authentication and proper data deletion. (laughs) Zoom staff will have to review software updates for security flaws. They didn't do that before. Oh! And make sure they don't impede third-party security measures. That happened... A couple years ago, when a Zoom update bypassed an anti-malware feature in Apple's Safari browser. The commission's investigation also dug into Zoom's earlier claim it offered 256-bit end-to-end encryption, when in fact the feature didn't actually exist. The software maker now says it has implemented the technology. To address that part of the FTC's case against Zoom, the settlement prohibits Zoom from, quote, making misrepresentations about its privacy and security practices, including about how it collects, uses, maintains, or discloses personal information, its security features, and the extent to which users can control the privacy or security of their personal information. Zoom previously slammed for its earlier problematic privacy policy. Under the deal, admitted no culpability. Just stuff happened, and then we other things happened, which are different from the things before. Also, from the register, you know Ring, the video doorbell, now owned by Amazon? They're recalling roughly 360,000 of its Wi-Fi-enabled video doorbells. The problem, they may catch fire when incorrectly installed, is all. This is Ring's second-generation video doorbell. The defect appears on units sold in the U.S. and Canada between June and October of this year. Model number 5UM5E5. Hurry, I'll wait. No, I won't. Ring includes two sets of screws with its doorbell. The first are wood screws designed to attach the doorbell to a wall. Or a door, I guess. second set of Torx T6 screws are used to attach the doorbell to its mounting bracket. If you mix the screws up, 
The battery may overheat. I don't mean to laugh at an overheating battery. I feel bad for them. Uh, This is according to recall notices posted on the websites of Health Canada and the U.S. Consumer Product Safety Commission. Ring has received 85 reports of overheating and in some cases exploding doorbells in the United States. Why, we're the home of exploding doorbells, aren't we? In 23 cases, the fault resulted in property damage. Eight people reported suffering minor burns. At least they didn't suffer Ken Burns. No, he didn't say that. Health Canada has reported just one incident. Produced no injuries or damages because, of course, it's Canada. Ring has sold 350,000 units of the affected product. Further 8,700 sold up north. Customers are not supposed to return their existing devices for a replacement or refund, but are being encouraged to contact Ring for updated installation instructions. Not clear what those who've already incorrectly installed their doorbells should do. Ring says, the safety of our customers is our top priority. I'd like one company to step forward and say, you know, it's about number three with us. We care about it, but, says Ring, we have contacted customers who purchased second-generation doorbell to ensure they received the updated user manual and follow the device installation instructions. Customers do not need to return their devices, unquote, because we need their data. Without their data, it ain't a smart world. With it, it is. From CPR, Continental Public Radio, I'm Mary Pat Fundy, and this is Up to Here. Up to Here. Once over, not so lightly, on the news, just behind the news, or under the news, or somewhere near the news. For the second straight presidential election, public opinion pollsters have come out with egg on their professional faces. To scrape that egg off and perhaps unscramble it for us is our guest today, the founding consultant of Argos Opinion Strategies, Dr. Conrad Leidenheimer. Dr. Leidenheimer, welcome to Up to Here. It's a pleasure to be up and uh, here. And now, of course, the post-election discourse has bristled with critiques of the pre-election polling. Mm, well, I've been around for a few election cycles. I don't recall of one where some arrows weren't being aimed at us. It's <laughs> almost an occupational hazard by now. Uh, of course, I don't have any data on its prevalence, but I dare say some people uh, would distrust my data. And the good news is we do have data on them. You're finding more people distrust you and your colleagues? Well, even I distrust my colleagues. <laughs> but, uh, yes, we've been pulling on public reaction to us for some years now. And there's a definite downward uh, trajectory across the demographic landscape. Which I, I should point out is not an actual landscape. No, I thought the public radio audience understood that. But in any case, this trend has gone hand-in-hand, hand, or if you will, hand-in-glove, mm. with an increasing interest in not uh, participating in the surveys. And for us lay people, that would uh, translate to a decrease? Boiled down, that's correct, in essence. Any idea what's behind these trends? Well, I think it's a technological issue, uh, by which I mean that we in the polling community haven't yet found a way to ask people a series of questions at a time of day when they're not uh, pestered by our approach. Well, you'd think that during this pandemic, when people have far more time at home, they might be 
more eager to spend time with an interested stranger. Uh, that was one of the mistakes we made. We did indeed think that. But our current hypothesis is that so many other forces, uh, telemarketers, scammers... <laughs> Assuming you can tell a difference. You're saying that I'm not. I do have colleagues in the telemarketer community. But these other operators have at times presented themselves deceptively as pollsters. And that has, I think it's 80-20 to say, eroded our trustability quotient. Do you call that your TQ? Uh, no, I don't. So at this point, are you searching for more trustable people to ask your questions? I, I think influencers might be a possibility. Influencers would be a perfect choice. Mm. They're trusted by a key demographic segment, and of course they are for sale at a very reasonable price. Uh, but that's exactly the problem. Once operatives in the political space find out we're using an influencer, they can pay him or her to frame the questions mm. in, shall we say, an under-scientific way, and there goes your trustability at the other end. That would be your customer's end? The business end, yes. And, of course, we've tried many different flavors of automated question asking. And the overwhelming response from those who do respond, about 75-25, has been that it's unpleasant enough talking to a machine when you actually need something from it. There have been reports this week that major players in the polling industry have been conferring about what steps could be taken to fix what's wrong. That's correct. And uh, just like polling itself, so far... We're asking the right questions, but the answers are all over the place. And we don't know where the place is. Now, if you ask me... Oh, okay. I'm asking you what uh, the answer might be. I'd say the future of polling is in implants. Hmm. If we can get a scientifically accurate sample of the American people to allow us to implant a very discreet chip, we could send them a text message question and monitor their response, blood, heart, you name it, without them having to do or say anything. Well, they have to read the text. We're working on that. It's an exciting frontier we're exploring. I can say that. 6535. Dr. Conrad Leidenheimer, it is exciting just to hear about your excitement. Thanks for joining us today. Well, thank you. And for now, you're up to here. Help today came from the local emergency center. We had a little problem in the control room. I'm Mary Pat Fundy. Talk to you next time we go up to here. This is CPR, Continental Public Radio. And now, startlingly early in the hour, the Apologies of the Week. We're so sorry. What does it portend? Apologies. Cardi B is apology, apologizing following accusations of cultural appropriation. The rapper sparked backlash, or backed sparklash, after appearing on the November cover of Footwear News. Wow, to make it on the cover of Footwear News, you gotta be good. She did that to promote her upcoming collaboration with Reebok. She was holding a sneaker and seemingly imitating the Hindu goddess Durga. She's traditionally depicted with eight to ten arms, and we don't know how many shoes. Several people on social media called the cover disrespectful, accused Cardi B of mocking their culture. Cardi B did not pay homage to the Hindu goddess Durga by holding a shoe in her hand. This is plain disrespect and in no way cultural appreciation, wrote one Twitter user. Footwear News sent in a statement to people. <laughs> One magazine talks to another. 
we posted content from our exclusive Cardi B cover shoot. One of the images was intended to pay homage to Hindu goddess Durga, and our intent was to show a powerful woman. However, we realized we were not considerate of certain cultural and religious perspectives and how they could be perceived as deeply offensive. We take full responsibility, full accountability for this oversight, and we apologize. Footwear News continued. It's important that we learn from this example and are sensitive to this sort of religious imagery when creative discussions are taking place in the future. Would Moses be wearing... No, carrying a... Sh they didn't say that. Uh, then Cardi apologized for any offense she may have caused on Instagram, admitting she should have researched the concept before the cover shoot. The creators told me I was going to represent a goddess, that she represented strength, femininity, and liberation. And that's something I love and I'm all about. I wasn't trying to be disrespectful. I want to say I'm sorry. Maybe I should have done my research. I'm sorry I can't change the past, but I will do more research for the future. Unquote. Cardi B. Love to be invited to watch her do some research sometime. U.S. cosmetics giant Estee Lauder has apologized after unilaterally shipping a darker shade of foundation to Asian customers. Their decision to single out women and their apology is drawing another round of criticism. The company came on fire, under fire, according to the Korea Herald. It's my favorite Herald. Earlier this week, after a viral online review revealed that a matte foundation product ordered online arrived in a different shade with a note explaining that Ivory Nude was the best color for Asians, while Shell, which was originally ordered, doesn't go well with Asians. Estee Lauder, in a statement, said it sincerely apologizes to customers for the trouble it caused. The action doesn't reflect the diverse beauty of every woman. But the gender-specific wording invited another round of criticism. Do only women wear makeup? One comment read on Instagram. One Estee Lauder Korea official said the company is taking steps to directly issue an apology to customers who had received the controversial note. The official declined to comment as to whether any employees responsible for the note would be reprimanded. It will ramp up internal training and review work procedures in the wake of the incident. Philadelphia City Council voted this week to apologize for the move bombing 35 years ago. It left 11 people dead, including five children, and burned 61 homes in West Philly. The resolution, approved unanimously, represents the first firm formal apology offered by the city for the May 13, 1985 bombing. It establishes the anniversary of the bombing as an annual day of observation, reflection, and recommitment. The uh, council member whose district includes the neighborhood destroyed by the bombing sponsored the resolution. Police had dropped an explosive device on the roof of the building after a day-long confrontation with the black radical and naturalist group MOVE as officers attempted to evict them from their compound. The majority of the victims were black, according to the Philadelphia Inquirer, which should know. Melissa McCarthy is apologizing after accidentally supporting an anti-abortion and anti-LGBTQ charity in a campaign to promote her upcoming film, whose, in, whose title would be here, right after the words upcoming film, if I wanted to promote it along with her. The actress and HBO Max teamed up for a 20 Days of Kindness campaign. Among the 20 charities highlighted was Exodus Cry, 
a Christian organization that states it's committed to abolishing sex trafficking and breaking the cycle of commercial sexual exploitation. However, the Daily Beast and many on social media noted that the CEO, Benjamin Nolot, has a history of making comments against abortion and homosexuality. It has come to our attention that our 20 Days of Kindness, a kindness hub we started to shine a light on 20 great charities, had one in there that, well, there's no other way to say it. We blew it, said McCarthy in a video. We made a mistake, and we backed a charity that, upon proper vetting, stands for everything we do not. She thanked everyone on social media who flagged the charity. We've put it, We have pulled it. She said, we're incredibly grateful for you ringing the bell and helping us be better. We're sorry for our mistake. Oh, boy, are we sorry for it. Can't believe that we missed it. She hopes this doesn't ding the other charities because they're really doing some amazing things. Let the kindness continue. Unquote. Melissa McCarthy. Another actor is in the apology bin. Actor Kim Ji-hoon apologized for watching illegally downloaded American drama. He was involved in a controversy when he appeared on an episode of I Live Alone during the show he was seen watching an American drama Raised by Wolves. When netizens saw him watching the American drama, many noticed the drama is not provided by any streaming sites in Korea, neither on Netflix or Watcha, which are the two main platforms in Korea. It hadn't even been imported to Korea yet. Many raised a question, wondered if actor Kim Ji-hoon had illegally downloaded the show. He was watching the drama with Korean subtitles. He admitted he was watching illegally downloaded episodes through his agency. He apologized, stating, As an actor, I apologize for not being aware of the copyright issue. I will be more careful and more thoughtful in my actions. I apologize for causing discomfort. Unquote. An actor. Airbnb says a computer glitch is to blame for canceling some users' bookings. In a statement, the property rental company said only a small portion of people were affected. This week, several Airbnb users noticed their accounts were deactivated. The company says this happened accidentally during routine computer maintenance. When they were able to log back in, they found their reservations were missing. Airbnb apologized and said it is assisting customers with rebookings. They didn't apologize for wrecking neighborhoods yet, but I'm sure in the fullness of... T- the principal of Lexington, Kentucky's Winborn Middle School this week apologized for a personal Facebook post that has launched an investigation by the school district. He told families he understood why they had reservations about him following the post that appeared dismissive of the COVID-19 pandemic, but he promised he was committed to his school. He'd already made a public apology after the post went viral. He said in an email he would work tirelessly to keep the school safe in the pandemic and relentlessly to bring excellence to Winburn. Quote, I am writing today to apologize for a recent social media post I made, he said in the email. It's an honor for me to serve as principal at Winburn Middle School. My goal is always to lift up our school, our staff, our students, the families we serve. It was never my intent to disgrace, embarrass, or bring negative attention to the school. I understand the gravity of my comments and plan on working relentlessly to make Winburn Middle School, a school of excellence. In the original post, he had said, One good thing from the election is that COVID cases should rapidly dissipate after January, since we can't blame Trump any longer. But don't complain when gas prices soar to $8 per gallon, health insurance premiums are unaffordable, payroll taxes hit an all-time high, unemployment numbers skyrocket, energy costs are beyond belief, and first responders are considered enemies. 
At least we can rest at night knowing only the great cities, the major cities in this great union controls the country. I know that makes me feel better. Good luck, America. Unquote. Only the major cities in this great union controls the country. That's a school principle, ladies and gentlemen. The superintendent of the school said he couldn't comment on personnel matters, but the investigating the incident. Posts by individual employees do not reflect the views of the school district. A permanent substitute teacher at that school died in September of COVID-19. We're not going to be hearing about it, though, after November 4th. A local news station in Georgia, WXIA-TV, debunked claims made by Tucker Carlson on his show that dead people voted in the election. It's fun. It's fun. TV is fun. In one case, a deceased person whom Carlson said voted had not cast a ballot. Instead, it was the man's widow, as CNN has also confirmed. I just get embarrassed when people watch me. Carlson, this week corrected the segment, and apologized to the widow for the error. Deadline East Windsor, Connecticut, Cracker Barrel, it's a restaurant chain, has issued an apology after what looked like a noose was on display at its East Windsor, Connecticut location. Customers recently dining, uh, eating, at the restaurant reportedly saw the noose hanging from the ceiling. Photographs were taken and posted online, causing upset. Having a noose or even having a rope tied in such a way that resembles a noose is very traumatic to see as a black person, said an activist. We know the history of the country. Cracker Barrel said it was not meant to be a symbol of racism. The company specializes in antique decor and said it was part of a decorative item and has since been removed. Quote, we're sorry this happened. The decor item, an antique electric soldering iron, came with an original cord that was wrapped in a way that should have been noticed and corrected before it was ever displayed. The item has been removed from our East Windsor store. While this display was unintentional, it was completely unacceptable. And against our, pol- our company's policy of seeking to create a welcoming environment for everyone. We're grateful to our guest who pointed this out so we could correct our mistake. Hey, looks like a noose. Deadline Kenosha, Wisconsin, Alderman Rocco Lamakia. In response to a comment he made on social media last weekend that appeared to encourage rioting in Kenosha, was flagged by Facebook as being racially defamatory, issued the following apology a couple days later, according to the Kenosha News. Quote, I deeply apologize for the pain I caused my fellow Kenoshans by making a statement on Facebook that was rife with implied racism. While the post was a very poor attempt at humor... Humor by amateurs. I now understand it was simply not funny. There's no humor in violent unrest that can lead to the loss of life and property and the intimidation of people, and I should have known better. I also understand how this Facebook post, coupled with several other posts I've made in recent months that I thought were humorous, (laughs) could lead to the impression that I harbor racial prejudice. I was born and raised in Kenosha. I met and married my wife here. I've served on the Common Council for 12 years. It is my great honor to be a public servant in this great city. But I can only do my job well if I do it credibly and respectfully. To that end, I will be meeting shortly with a variety of community leaders, on the co- co- uh, colleagues on the Council, and African-American faith leaders to learn and grow from my mistakes. 
Again, I deeply apologize for my hurt, for any hurt my comments caused. I take full ownership and am committed to be a better person and to learning from my mistakes. Unquote. We don't know what those posts said. The Kenosha News didn't um, provide that information. I guess it was too embarrassing to Kenosha. Dateline Reading, California, Bethel Church, senior associate leader Chris Vallotton took to Instagram after the election. The uh, preacher, clergyman, apologized for prophesying that Donald Trump would win a second term while praying for President-elect Joe Biden, his success, and the success of the country. I was wrong. I take full responsibility for being wrong. There's no excuse for it. I think it doesn't make me a false prophet, but it does actually create a credibility gap. Those can be good for you, too. The credibility gap wants to help you bring out your better self. If you look good, you feel good, too. And the credibility gap can do that for you. Shopping convenience, easy to park. The credibility gap is really a lark. The quality's high and the prices are thrifty. The credibility gap can make you look nifty. And a lot of people trust me, the clergy person went on, trust my ministry, and I want to say I'm very sorry for everyone who put their trust in me. The uh, church, Bethel Church, has nearly 10% of the population of the city of Reading and a global following. Senior leader of the church, Benny Johnson, had a dramatically different reaction to the election from Valentine's. Johnson, in a post on Instagram, said, I'm fighting not just for my president, I'm fighting for the freedom of our country. Listen, I'm a feeler, I'm a seer, I can see what's going to happen in the future, and let me tell you, if this man, which if, and that's a big if, if he gets in, we're going to see so much destruction, you talk about disunity, oh my gosh, said Johnson, whose husband has been a pastor at the church since 1996. Talking of churches, calling a Vatican report on the investigation into its knowledge of sexual improprieties of Theodore Mc. Carrick, while a clergyman, Archbishop Jose Gomez of Los Angeles, said the findings mark, quote, another tragic chapter in the church's long struggle to confront the crimes of sexual abuse by clergy, unquote. He also said the findings were being reviewed by U.S. church leaders, and he expressed gratitude for Pope Francis' effort to address clergy sexual abuse. In his statement, Archbishop Gomez offered profound sorrow and deepest apologies to McCarrick's victims and their families and to every victim survivor of sexual abuse by the clergy. He also urged all people who may have been abused by priest, bishop, or someone in the church to report their allegation to law enforcement and to church authorities, whichever ignores them first. Dayline Jackson, Mississippi, a Mississippi representative, is apologizing after making a comment suggesting that Mississippi should secede from the rest of the United States. Representative Price Wallace said on Twitter, We need to succeed, S-U-C-C-E-E-D, from the Union and form our own country. As a response to the outcome of the election. Then he apologized for what he called a lack of judgment. He said, I truly love the USA and Mississippi would never support any idea of seceding from the Union. I'm extremely sorry for my comment. It was inappropriate and in no way represents the will of my constituents or myself. 
I humbly ask for forgiveness for my poor lack of judgment. I think you mean lack of judgment or poor judgment, or poor lack of judgment, or lack of judgment poor. The New Orleans Police Department has confirmed it is utilizing facial recognition for its investigations despite years of assurances the city wasn't using facial recognition. When we said we weren't, we meant we were. In a statement to the uh, local nonprofit newsroom, The Lens, a department police department spokesperson said, although it didn't own facial recognition software itself, it was granted access to the technology through state and federal partners. Well, who would that be? The spokesman for the police department declined to provide a list of those partners. We would prefer not to at this time. He did indicate that the FBI was on that list. An FBI spokesperson declined to comment on specific products or services the FBI may or may not purchase or use. The spokesperson said the NOPD only used facial recognition for violent cases, but the documentation of frequency of use of facial recognition is not currently available. For years and under two separate mayoral administration. City officials in New Orleans responded to questions about facial recognition by saying the city didn't own any software itself. Or by talking specifically about the Real-Time Crime Center. It's the city's video surveillance hub and has a policy against the use of facial recognition, but the RTCC, the Real-Time Crime Center, is part of the city's Department of Homeland Security, and its policies don't apply to the police department. Isn't that wild? The city council held a hearing in July on a potential surveillance ordinance that would ban the use of facial recognition. Of course the city doesn't deploy any facial recognition technology in a law enforcement purpose, said the real-time crime center administrator to the council. The NOPD would not directly respond to questions about whether it would review its response to the ACLU when it submitted a public records request with the city for records and communications regarding the use of facial recognition. The term employee used in the request might have referred to ownership of the tool itself, which we don't, said a city spokesperson. I apologize for any misunderstanding. Again, the word employee was used in the context of ownership. The consensus is that the NOPD does not own facial recognition tools. Employ, you know, like use. Princess Diana's brother has called for a BBC inquiry over faked bank statements he says helped secure his sister's historic BBC interview. Charles Spencer said sheer dishonesty was used to secure the 1995 Martin Bashir Remember him from Nightline? Interview with the princess. The Earl accused the BBC of a, quote, whitewash. The BBC has apologized for the fake statements, but it says a note from the princess said she did not see them. They had played no part in her decision to take part in the interview, the BBC said. And Deadline Williamstown, Massachusetts, Police Chief Kyle Johnson apologized to the community for past failings and promised to do better as head of the town's police department. He explained a member of the department has been placed on administrative leave for posting inappropriate comments on Facebook, possibly 
while on duty. The apologies of the week, ladies and gentlemen, copyrighted feature of this broadcast. Well, this has been the week when refusing to concede has been the dominant or one of the dominant stories in the uh, news coverage agendas, along with record COVID-19 numbers every day of the week. But somehow, the president's refusal to concede that he hasn't been reelected got precedence even over the COVID numbers, because he's Donald Trump, and he knows how to do that. His longtime supporter, Rupert Murdoch, and the Murdoch Publications, part of the Murdochracy, appears to have turned against Trump, starting with a story in the New York Post saying that he'd lost, and uh, continuing with the Fox News decision desk decision a week ago Saturday that he had lost Arizona, a decision that was replicated by the other networks only this past weekend. There are reports that Ivanka Trump and her husband, Jared Kushner, have been among the voices inside the White House trying to say, you know, come on, come on now. Whereas um, the two Trump sons, Eric and Don Jr., have been avidly promoting the idea that the uh, election was stolen and should be resisted, which resulted, among other reasons, in uh, a march on Washington Saturday by a bunch of people. Kylie McEnany says a million. Others say much less. So we end, or come to close to the end of the Trump administration the way we began it, with possible exaggerations of crowd size. And it is, um, it's, it's a lot tougher to ride the down escalator going back up. This week, for the first time, reality is not only biting, it's swallowing. And for the businessman turned chief executive, the format of the show is changing from docudrama to fan fiction. Rupert, you couldn't come in person like you always do? Donald, this isn't always. This is now. Things change. Times change. Wives change, right? Did you hear my supporters out there in Freedom Square or Liberty Square, whatever the hell it's called? No, sorry. Between the engine noise and the fact that I'm landing in Los Angeles... They were yelling, Fox News sucks. Surprised. To be honest with you, I'm amazed that the evangelicals are yelling that anything sucks. This just in, Donald. The country's changing. Uh-huh. Here's a bulletin from Trump. That's what we've both been opposing for years. The red caps don't say make America change again, right? Look, my friend, we've had a good run. <laughs> I bet that's what you told crooked Hillary when you supported her for the friggin' New York Senate. I... But this, uh... Drip, 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 first the Post, then the Wall Street Journal, now Fox News. It's like some kind of torture. Donald, these are words I've never said to you before. 
But let's be realistic. Where does all this lead to? Some lily-whacker online channel where you prattle on three hours a day about how badly you were cheated and then ask for donations so you could keep the battle going, meaning your bloody lifestyle? I can tell you this. It doesn't sound like the worst thing in the world, believe me. And you, you're kissing your strongest viewers goodbye and betting you can survive by attacking a guy who attacks himself every time he wakes up? Look, pal, you built a friggin' network. I built a damn movement. And I'm taking it with me, and your task would be for your once great news channel to come along for the ride. Yeah, you know, we did pretty well at the home of the Obama opposition. Paved the way for a guy you might know. You. Besides, my son runs the news channel now. Well, here's what I do know. I don't let my sons drag my family's reputation in the mud like that. You've seen Don Jr. in action. You can't buy loyalty like that. Well, actually, in any case, I'm finally proud after all these years that I gave him my name. Yeah, I didn't make that mistake to start with. They each had their own monogram. So look, Donald, we're landing. Uh, we'll talk soon, I'm sure. And uh, I promise you this. You'll do the task? No. But I'll be watching. So, Ivanka, Miss, I think you should do the sensible thing. Dad, I... excuse me? Who's this dad person? Don't I still have a title that all of us on the team are still fighting to hold on to? Sorry, Mr. President, both Jared and I think you're doing the most disturbing and even frightening thing by continuing to withhold your concession. And that oh-so-scary thing would be... You're doing a great, great damage to your brand, which, of course, is our brand, too. I mean, who in their right mind would want to stay in a sore loser luxury hotel? Let me tell you something about right minds. There are about 70 million of them that would check into a luxury hotel that's very strongly on fire if it had my name on it. Our name. We feel, going forward, that uh, there's much more brand equity in not becoming, I think uh, Jared's phrase for it is, uh, a magnet for ridicule. Okay, sweetheart. Little lesson for the professor who last time I looked still owned the ugliest office building on Fifth Avenue. <sighs> I've been that kind of target of magnet my whole adult life. It's made possible a very good standard of living for a certain would-be fashion lady. If I didn't know what I'm doing, you think I'd be here now? you got to spend more time being like Eric and Junior, and less time being my fair yenta for a guy who can't figure out how to unload the biggest white elephant in Midtown. Okay, De Mr. President, first of all, he has some Saudis who are super interested in 666. Yeah, they probably want to turn it into Manhattan's ugliest mosque. <laughs> That's going to be a nice legacy for Mr. Kushner. Remind me to come by every Ramadan. And second, we just don't feel like following the lead of two men who've dealt with the reputational damage to our hotels by giving away rooms. Just the super premium ones, which were deader than Joe Biden's brain cells. Look, Vanky. You've never called me that. Never thought I needed to. Hmm. You two are trying to turn your dad into something none of us think I am. Uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, uh. A loser. Uh. But you're not a loser, Mr. President, Dad. Sure, maybe you lost one election. You mean the biggest election for the biggest prize in the freaking universe? Losing that doesn't make you a loser? You may not be as smart as the boys, but you're not the that... The key to not being a loser is quickly moving along to the next thing you can be a winner at. 
Like what? Destroying my enemies? I'm already... Like writing a book that will outsell Obama's book. Wouldn't that be a good feeling? Wouldn't that be something a winner does? Is this Jared talking to you? It's me. I have to find a ghostwriter. The whole book thing is not my thing. What about that woman we met a couple of years ago? The one who ghostwrote Herman Cain's memoir? You know what? I like COVID patients who don't die of the disease. <sighs> Meanwhile, honey, here's your task for this week. Convince your sons to back off on this dead-ender stuff? Eh, I'll do that. Maybe. No, you've got to get your husband not to sell that pile of crap to the Saudis. It'll kill the avenue. Can you do that, Venky? If you promise you won't call me that again, maybe. New team, new tasks, same mission. We're going to make hanging on by our fingernails great again. Now, the world is his boardroom. The Presidentus. This week, you'll miss him when he's gone. And you want to. Now, ladies and gentlemen, news of our friend the Adam. Clean, safe, too cheap to meet. Safe, cheap, too cheap to meet. Cheap, safe, too safe to meet. Safe, safe, too safe to meet. Hey, who would you pick to clean up a nuclear waste dump? Knowing what you know from listening to this show. Yeah, that's right, the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers. The uh, Corps of Engineers said this week, resuming the $500 million cleanup of the nuclear waste dump in um, an area of Pittsburgh, is a top priority. And they're getting ready. You wouldn't actually do a top priority when you could just get ready for it. The time is right for it, says the uh, Colonel, and, uh, Colonel Andrew J. Kobe Short in a virtual meeting. We're hot and heavy in the planning stages. We have the professional team and we have the money, unquote. The task, according to the Pittsburgh Tribune Review, is to excavate an estimated 36,000 tons of radioactive waste, 8 to 16 feet thick, buried in 10 trenches that occupy about 1.2 acres of a 40-acre area. Excavation is scheduled to start in 2023 and finished no later than 2031. What's going to happen to the waste? Oh, it will be shipped, quote, off-site, unquote. Meaning, who knows, we'll figure it out or not. The dump received radioactive and chemical waste from the formula, former Nuclear Materials and Equipment Company from about 1960 to the early 1970s. That, uh, company and its successors produced nuclear fuels for Navy submarines and commercial nuclear power plants and other products. Decades in the making, cleanup plans have been in the works since the 1990s. Because of lack of progress and residents' frustration, Congress authorized the Army Corps to take over the cleanup from the Federal Nuclear Regulatory Commission. In 2011, the Corps shut down the cleanup shortly after it started because a contractor allegedly mishandled some nuclear waste (laughs) and uh, pulled up greater amounts than expected of complex nuclear materials. What the? What the? The Corps recalibrated and secured a new contractor. We will have more sophisticated equipment and instruments and better qualified people than the previous excavation, said the project manager of the Corps. 
the Parks site, that's what it's called, Parks Township, is the number one priority in the core national program for the cleanup of the nation's early atomic weapons and energy programs. There are currently 20 sites undergoing cleanups in that core program, known as the Formerly Utilized Sites Remedial Action Program. Well, it's got a name. That's that's a thing. Top priority, ladies and gentlemen. Not what you think. Federal regulators have fined the nation's largest public utility more than $900,000. Why, that's almost a billion. No, it's almost a million. Don't get excited, just because I said something wrong. For violating procedures during the startup of a Tennessee nuclear reactor and subsequently misleading investigators. Two managers and a plant operator who worked at the TVA's Watts Bar plant were also issued violations by the Nuclear Regulatory Commission. Some wrists are going to be hurting. They got slapped. News of our friend the Adam. And just before we go... News of the Godly. Pope Francis asked Cardinal Vincent Nichols, the leader of the Catholic Church in England and Wales to stay in his post despite a damning report that criticized his leadership and concluded that the church repeatedly prioritized its reputation over the welfare of child sex abuse victims. This according to The Guardian. In its final review of the church, the independent inquiry into child sexual abuse of the Vatican's failure to cooperate with the investigation, quote, passes understanding, unquote. The report said the church's neglect of the physical, emotional, and spiritual well-being of children and young people in favor of protecting its reputation was in conflict with its mission of love and care for the innocent and vulnerable. Of um, Nichols, leader of the Catholic Church in England and Wales, it said, there was no acknowledgement of any personal responsibility to lead or influence change, neither did he demonstrate compassion towards victims in the recent cases which we examined. His resignation, or no, calls for his resignation, grew in the wake of the publication of the report this week. Members of the survivors group, White Flowers Alba, called upon Cardinal Nichols and the present Papal Nuncio to resign immediately. The sexual abuse of children involved instances of... Don't let children hear this next part, won't you? Masturbation, oral sex, vaginal rape, and anal rape. On occasions, the inquiry said it was accompanied by sadistic beatings driven by sexual gratification, as well as deeply manipulative behavior by those in positions of trust. One child estimated that between the ages of 11 and 15, he had been abused hundreds of times by a priest. After each incident, he was required to make confession, and the priest concerned made it plain that his sister's place at a local convent school depended on his compliance, according to the report. When complaints were made, the church invariably failed to support victims and survivors but took action to protect alleged perpetrators by moving them, you know this one, to a different parish. Child sexual abuse, the report says, was swept under the carpet. There are uh, meetings right now at the Vatican to discuss getting rid of the carpets. The uh, Cardinal, Vincent Nichols, issued a statement, along with the Archbishop of Liverpool, saying the Catholic Church welcomed the report, which would inform improvements and safeguarding in all aspects of the Church's life. It added, 
Quote, we apologize to all victims and survivors who have not been properly listened to or properly supported by us. Unquote. No intention by the uh, leader of the Catholic Church in England and Wales to skedaddle. News of the Godly, copyrighted feature of this broadcast. This is the end, or at least the beginning of the end of this broadcast for this week. Back again next week, same time, same stations on radio. At the time of your choice on the audio device of your choice, if you go that way. And if you go that way, tell them I say hi. And it would be just like telling them I say hi, if you'd agree to join with me then. Would you already? Thank you very much. Uh-huh. Tip of the show, chapeau to the San Diego desk to Pam Halstead and to Thomas Walsh at WWNO New Orleans for help with today's broadcast. Me, I'm on the Twitter at the Harry Shearer. The email address for this program, your chance to get Cars I Talk t-shirts and the playlist of the music you hear on this program, all at harryshearer.com. comes to you from Century of Progress Productions and originates through the facilities of WWNO New Orleans flagship station of the Change is Easy Radio Network. So long from the home of the homeless.